Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery and I'm excited to have Christoph Pasker, who is the, four, is the founder of Slide, which is a collaborative workspace where remote teams get their best work done. Built since 2016 in remote, it's the ideal documentation and communication tool for remote teams and comes with the best templates and advisors for these teams. A big thank you to Alexander Luzi from Outflow for the introduction. Welcome to the show, Christoph. Thanks, Hait. Awesome. So, you know, uh, you, you've been uh, in, in the remote space. Uh, how, how did the journey start with, uh, with Slide and why do you want to build it? Um, yeah, so, I mean, we, we didn't start like, uh, with the intention to be in remote, but in 2016, basically our first employee, our first, yeah, I mean, yeah, our first employee, which is like, like a co-founder for us today, uh, was, um, 100 kilometers or 200 kilometers away from Paris. I was in Paris with my co-founder and, okay. um, we just knew this guy, a friend of a friend and he, you know, like was terrific and it was like a no brainer for us. And we really like, didn't think about it before, but we just, you know, got into the whole remote game without even realizing it. And first it was like in France and we had people a bit everywhere. And obviously like we turned the company culture around it and we started very, very fast to kind of like think about that. And because it was like so close to the business that we were like starting, it actually shifted the whole business model, found the whole business actually, uh, not model, but the value prop of slide. So we are like building a note application for teams. So it was really like oh. the idea at the beginning to, to be similar to what Slack did with communication, uh, uh, we will do to documentation. So having like a form factor, like the not taking up that was so nice to use, so easy to use, simple UX, um, super fast as well, bring that into teams so that they would start to kind of like share and have by default a knowledge uh, of the team accessible by, by anyone. And, uh, and so, yeah, like when we started to do that, we didn't really know where we were going at the, at first. Like we just knew that this was a product that we would use every day and, um, doing that while being in remote, which again, was not like planned for actually made complete sense because like since day one or since, you know, six month six, really, uh, we basically, uh, had this ingrained in our DNA that we were building for remote teams, uh, and, you know, as a remote teams. And when I say for remote teams, of course, today, like it's, it's a bit more obvious at the time we didn't say remote because, you know, you only had uh, maybe 1000 remote teams in the world, mm. but we said like async first or, or teams with heavy written culture. So teams that really tried to kind of like walk by writing to be thoughtful about what they did, um, to be clear in the decision-making to share them by default, to have clarity on what was happening. So, you know, for instance, at the time you, the examples that we had were Stripe. Yeah. Um, Stripe uh, in 2017 was sharing all the emails by default. So even like, uh, anybody in the team could access Patrick Collison's email, for instance. Uh, and they had like very elaborate kind of ways to share knowledge. They had like a hackpad, which was like the, the ancestor to Dropbox paper, uh, that they were using to kind of like share like documents by default, like to, to put uh, by writing. And then like they were consolidating in another tool. Um, so yeah, like anyway, like, uh, we basically like add like at the very, very, like a uh, start of our adventure, like this mix between kind of like uh, remote working and everything that come with it. So explicit culture, um, you know, working by writing and so on. And like the tool that we are really like a perfect match. Got it. And initially, you know, when you started off, uh, who, who were your customers? How did you get to decide, you know, these are the, uh, the customers that we're going to talk it and 
how do you get to those 1000 first users? Uh, yeah, I mean, like at the very beginning, we basically didn't uh, pick. <laughs> we just yeah. like uh, were like with our network uh, and okay. with uh, friends, previous collaborators, um, you know, people that we worked with uh, before, like, uh, um, like, uh, as, you know, like any meetups or whatever. And we are very, very pushing at the time, you know, like the ecosystem was inexistent, like uh, Quip just got like the, the week I started Slide, I started to code the first version of Slide. Quip uh, got acquired by Salesforce for 1 billion and Notion launched their V1. And, and they basically like had still two years before like being famous. Like, so they, they were, you know, like nobody in our space, like they were Confluence and they were, there was uh, Confluence and there was Google Docs. That's pretty much oh. it. And, uh, and then they were not like really competing fun, you know, they were a different world. So we were creating them. And, and, uh, so what we did was just, you know, going to every team out there and just selling and selling and selling and just, you know, saying, what do you use for writing? Like, do you share, like, what are your habits around like writing and sharing and so on? And what we realized is that often people had like the reflex to write things down for themselves, but they didn't share after. And so this promise of saying like, well, do exactly the same, but by default, it will be shared and collaborative and accessible by anyone was really, really like good. So a lot of people really churn from Google Docs and, and Evernote at the, at the beginning. So that was like the first version and it brought us to our maybe, uh, you know, 100, 200 first active users. And then like the big kind of like extra push that we had before like going to raise the seed round was um, we managed to get like a couple of teams that were real teams, like, you know, like real companies rather. So above uh, 50 people. So we had like our first team of uh, SaaS uh, called a test in Paris. That was our first customer. Uh, that shone from Confluence to Slide uh, with a product that was very young, like uh, less than, uh, no, one year old at the time. And uh, and that was amazing. Like it was just, you know, we didn't, I didn't even know what Confluence was when I started Slide. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think like a real company that had like, you know, like real money that are real business problem churning from an existing solution because to, to Slide, just because this thing, even if it was there for, that existed for 15 years, was just so slow and so you know, an intuitive to use. And so, you know, like, uh, full of friction. Uh, yeah, that was like the biggest validation that we could have. And then we reached this step. We were at like a few hundred active users. And in the same week, like, uh, I went to SF, my team was still in Paris. So we were five at the time. And they basically like coordinated the launch on product hunt at the time, uh, that worked super well. Um, while opening to the beta list that we had, like, uh, you know, get growth grown, uh, in, in uh, the few months prior, uh, at the same time I was doing kind of fundraising in SF, we had like the YC interview. So all these things kind of blended in a mix of very, very intense, like three weeks. And, uh, at the end of these weeks, like we basically got super good launch. It managed to get us into YC. Yeah. Um, it managed also to kind of like change totally like the dimension of our seed around at the time. And so all these things basically created a bit of interest in the market. We managed to get like a few, I mean, it's nothing compared to today, but you know, like a few kind of hundred, uh, active users and so on. And, um, and to start to have like real kind of feedback, you know, we understood, like we started to have like proper cohorts, started to have like a, uh, proper kind of uh, users and so on. But so, yeah, like, I mean, to come back to the original question, like the first 1000, which was like after a year and a year and a half, um, I mean, of course, you know, what first 1000, of course, like with a lot of, uh, you know, churn and so on, like the activation was terrible. Uh, like the court, like, I mean, the court retained, which was like the biggest kind of like thing, like we still had like people that retain on the long run. That was amazing, but it was not like, you know, like crazy, uh, gross machine. Uh, 
Um, but yeah, like it was just, you know, like very, very organic. And we just learned as we go, like who they were and why they were interested and how to, do, you know, replicate this. Got interesting. And, you know, b- before the call, we, we were talking about, you know, the challenges flight based, especially in, in the year one with, with the co-founder uh, issues and mm. uh, the notion also building up, uh, you know, what is your advice for, you know, how to be resilient and, you know, what, what, what were some of the lessons you learned from, from such failures on how to keep moving forward? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's really interesting. So, so yeah, like, uh, indeed, like, uh, in the first year, and we even wrote an article about that. And so it's not a private, like my, my co-founder did, uh, a burnout. Um, and yeah, like, uh, year two, like we had like this kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, being facing with Slack, right? Like, uh, in terms of like growth and valuation, like, uh, we had notion like launching the V2 and we were like frontal with them. Like basically the, you know, we are still like, I think the number one competitor of notion, if you look at, uh, well, competitiveness basically. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was like definitely challenging. The good thing is that it's a roller coaster. You know, we had like these lows, but we also had like massive eyes. Like we had like incredible people that we founded the team. We managed to get into IC. So, you know, big validation, especially at the time, like we were, you know, not first time founder, but you know, like first time, like real company founder, let's say, um, we had like a massive seed round with index, which at the time was, you know, like insane for us. Um, so I, I think having these eyes like helped a lot. And then like the second thing is I didn't realize that I knew it. Like when I started slide, like I, I did slide with, uh, pre-seed investors, with friends from a startup student Paris called the eFunders. For one reason is I, I was very, very aware that this was like, uh, something that would be mm, with a massive potential. Like, you know, we could have a massive scale. But that will take a lot of time and that will be, you know, like it will take time to generate like a significant revenue. Uh, it's not like a vertical fintech company or whatever, you know, like where you can yeah. definitely, you know, uh, generate millions super fast. Uh, of course, it's also super interesting to work on, on slide. Like I love what I do every day. So, you know, there is an upside, uh, but it's, it is definitely kind of hard to crack this market. Like uh, what I told you before, we literally are like four or five in our market, like real players. Um, it is incredibly hard to crack. And that's the thing that I didn't realize. And I, in a way, I think it's, it's better. Um, but it will definitely have like pushed my resilience to the max. Like, um, when you look at all the players on our market, so Confluence, uh, Bitcoda, Notion, uh, Dropbox Paper a bit, Google Docs, of course, they all had like a genesis of like seven years or eight years. And, uh, you know, right. like a lot of them are not even like as evolved as what we do, right? They don't have databases or they don't have like a full structure or whatever. Like they can be, for instance, Dropbox paper as tail that's being just a document. And, uh, and I mean, it's, it's just insanely long. And all the story that you know about these stories, about these companies, like if you look, they had like seven years before working or eight years before working. Coda, in the case of Coda, they had like this, like four or five years of prior beta, but before that, they had 60 million of investment day one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's actually like when you look back and you're like, oh my God, like this is like just an insane space, like just super, super hard to get there. Um, so anyway, like, uh, this is definitely like a, a landscape that, uh, asks you for resilience. And I think not knowing was a big thing, just, you know, not being aware of it. And then like, you know, like, um, since everything that we did in terms of building the team, building the product, building the brand, we tried to kind of like put a lot of care in it. We basically built the capital. And then it was like harder and harder to kind of like, uh, look back, you know, it was kind of like, well, you know, we built all these things that are great and people love what we do. So, you know, like 
we need to continue. And there is like something that is still there today, which is, you know, like we've built something that is so good, that is so nice that people pay for and so on. We just can't, can't stop there. Like it's, uh, and you know, like now, no, obviously it's way easier because we are one of the only players on the market who can be, you know, in real competition with all these, uh, these players. Um, there is only one way, uh, you know, like, uh, forward, like we can only like grow basically from there. Mailman is a email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan. Uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Correct. So, so interesting. And, you know, you, you mentioned about Y Combinator. Uh, and this is a question even I asked An Antho Berjong from GitLab. What was the experience of Y Combinator? And, uh, and do you think, you know, uh, I mean, that time the cohort size was much smaller, but do you think it was worth it to go to Y Combinator? What would be your advice to uh, listeners who you know, want to apply for Y Combinator? Uh, so yes, it was it. Uh, it was not that small. Uh, we were like, I think in the two years after like the, there was like a transition, like uh, we are like already one, I think it was 120 companies. So it was about 300 funders. Okay. Um, um, I mean, it was a great experience for very simple uh, things. Um, if you look at it on a purely financial level, Okay. I started to raise money. I was a European, right? Like I was French. Um, okay. I started to raise money and the valuation was basically three times under what I, or two times under what I ended up raising with index. Oh, wow. And honestly, the only things that changed in a matter of two weeks, because that was the time frame, okay. was getting into IC or not. So if anything, for me, like uh, the 7% that uh, white combinator took was worth it because of this mix. Uh, so, so that made it very easy, to, you know, to take uh, any decision. And then like, of course it was a, you know, a kid's dream, like uh, to go there. So for a kid, I don't know, but at least like, I was definitely like, when I started kind of looking at the world entrepreneurial ecosystem, I, I fantasized on, on going there. Right. And, uh, and it was amazing to, to have the chance to go there. Uh, I think there are like, uh, um, things that are not as shiny as you can imagine. Right. Uh, like, you know, like the, the batch are very big. Uh, you don't know everybody. If you are a B2B, you always expect, I think I spoke about that with a lot of B2B founders, you always expect to sell to all the people in the batch. And the right is that often your product is not ready yet. So, you know, like the Stripe story is amazing, but it's, you know, like, uh, it's kind of like perfect timing. Um, you have like other stories like that, like Deal, uh, which is like a, a company that went uh, maybe two years after us that, you know, just absolutely exploded. Alex is like such a yeah. brilliant founder. And, and, you know, they obviously like, uh, manage after the batch, I think, because it was during COVID to kind of like, you know, like just, uh, take all YC companies, of course, or at least a lot of them. Um, um, yeah. So, so anyway, there are like a few things like that, you know, that, that are counterintuitive or that you expect from it, but it's so big. Um, and that there is something that is a bit counterintuitive. We were lucky enough to be like on the, I think, uh, I mean, I don't know what it means, but on the top of our batch, like I know that a lot of company, you know, stopped since then, a lot of company didn't manage to grow or didn't manage to raise or whatever, like was their need at the time. 
we are not in the massive like the top, top two companies like we have for instance we have two companies from our batch that are amazing we have uh, Replit uh, which is oh. a coding uh, environment uh, as demand a really great guy uh, and a really brilliant founder founders like they are a couple and uh, um, and you know like they were like definitely above the mass but it's funny because you, you couldn't see it during the batch yeah. and uh, you have Vanta which was very clearly like which Vanta is a SOC to service provider okay. that is the Series B last year uh, enfin, a few, I don't know, last year or, or two years ago. Super impressive company. And same thing, like you couldn't see it during the batch. Okay. Um, but you could know that, you know, like they had like, uh, something that was like, you know, like, uh, unique enough, vertical enough. And, and, you know, like a high demand enough, like a lot of SaaS were growing and going to enterprise. So they needed that. So it made a lot of sense. Uh, but yeah, like you have this thing, like during the batch where you kind of look at each other and you're like, shit, like now that we are there, great. Like, you know, we've like achieved something, but it's actually like back to square one. Like, okay. You know, we, we, we need to kind of like be like, um, uh, exceptional even more now, you know? So yeah. I don't know, like there was all this thing. And then like the, the, if, of course the benefits, but that we hear all the time, the partners are absolutely incredible. It's yeah. hard to find people that are as smart as the partners, at least the vast majority of partners in YC. Mm. They have like a sum of knowledge based on the previous companies, especially because partners are usually um, focused on certain type of business. So, you know, like uh, experts in SaaS will rather help SaaS founders. And so it means that every batch, so twice a year, they will listen to the metrics and to the challenges. So they don't share openly the metrics, but they can say, you know, for instance, one moment that I absolutely loved, uh, in YC was with, uh, Gustav, which is the previous, uh, head of growth at Airbnb for a long time ago now, right. uh, has been partner for a long time at, uh, at YC, very, very brilliant guy. And, uh, he has spoken so much about growth with so much, but so many companies, uh, that one office hour that we had, like after uh, the batch ended, like, uh, uh, was basically told me, okay, bring, bring your funnel, like give me all the numbers. And it basically was able to say, you know, like, okay, this is good. This is not good. This is good. And, you know, like it, and it was amazing because this is like, we have like a very special model, right? It's per seat, free model, uh, based on virality, like, you know, like with a few things. And actually, if you look at my activation rate and you look at, for instance, upflow, it's nothing alike. Like I have like so much more volume than him in terms of inbound, like uh, of teams com coming in, but he has maybe, a f I imagine, I don't remember his model, but I imagine that he has a gated, you know, Buku demo, uh, model. And you will have another teams that is like, you know, purely like you can't, uh, sign up if you don't put your credit card, all these models, they have different metrics, right? This is like one example of, oh my God, like, you know, why is he delivering so much value instantly? Like, uh, you know, like I could have like, I don't know if I would ever have like found these numbers by myself, basically. So yeah, that's, that's really amazing. So the, these, the advice of uh, partners and the visibility that you get. And of course the network, I still have a lot of these founders that are just friends. Like I have like, uh, you know, like if anything, the, 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 uh, what's, you know, we have WhatsApp with French founder and we, I live in Berlin. So I have WhatsApp with the German founders or the German, actually it's much more international, but anyway, and, um, you know, like getting advice from smart people that have gone exactly through the same thing as you and sharing feedback, you know, in, in, uh, in the other side, like, yeah, that's absolutely amazing. So the ecosystem of YC, I think is probably like the, the best added value after. Interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think Y Combinator gives that signal, but also that network, uh, which founders can, can tap into. And, uh, you know, I want to talk about, uh, remote because, you know, Slide's mission revolves around collaboration and one of its values is remote work. 
and and you were remote even before you know it became uh, you know fashionable to uh, i mean because of covid you know everybody had to uh, keep it remote but how can a company be remote and retain its values and culture especially when it is really early early stage and you looking to build your culture and uh, build a bit of a camaraderie among your team what is your advice on how to retain that values and culture you mean like uh, by having people from um, from mul- multiple places or yeah from yeah. multiple places and you know just working remotely is it possible to build yeah. like a unicorn uh, from <laughs> from day one with being absolutely remote you know it's it's interesting in a way because i did ask myself that a lot and it's still a question right like um uh we evangelize for remote so of course we will I mean, we could, but we, we are not that much vocal about these kind of questions. I have zero doubt that it's possible, but it's a very new model. Yeah. Before the COVID, there literally was maybe like uh, 30 companies that you could flag online, you know, fine, that were like explicitly remote and maybe 1,000 of them that were like actually remote, but didn't necessarily speak about it. And um, and the thing is mostly these companies were valuing, you know, uh, valuing, yeah. Uh, uh, the flexibility brought the freedom it brought and not necessarily like the hyper growth, like, you know, like a unicorn experience and so on. And, uh, and so I, I think the, I mean, we're already in this mood, like we're like a bit of strangers to the bootstrap style or the kind of like, you know, like, uh, yeah, I don't know, like the classic kind of like remote work style for, for some reason. Um, but of course, like the COVID opened the door to many more companies in remote that, you know, like are able or are already in the unicorn uh, area. Um, so anyway, just to say it is definitely possible. Uh, in terms of how we uh, did, like um, we always were uh, remote. Uh, so we say remote first, but not remote only. Uh, it is a spectrum, right? We sell an async solution. Like when you use slides, you can work in async. You even have like a module to make decisions in async, like uh, very clearly, like you have a decision-making module, like in slide in your document. Um, so it's something that we push for. Like we try to reduce meetings. We try to make our customers reduce meeting to have like much, much more time for, time for themselves and to unlock remote, of course. But we also like evangelize for the fact that you should meet you should have synchronous activity for innovation, for brainstorming and so on. And I think these activities are a big part of what makes the culture kind of uh, spreadable. Um, the, the whole part of, you know, like uh, culture by, of writing, working by writing, having uh, transparency over the information, having shared ownership, this is kind of built in remote. Like I don't think, well, I, I'm saying that you do have remote companies that are very much like they track time and this kind of thing, but I guess there are two worlds. Uh, I do think for, for teams that have like, uh, uh, you know, like, um, quite senior people and that try to build advanced stuff. Like you, if you work in remote, you need this ownership shared, you need this transparency, like it's kind of built in. And then all the rest of your culture, like honestly, like it uh, get built in, um, in your weekly updates, get built by the off slides that you do, which rate do you do them? Uh, what do you encourage people to do? Uh, do you encourage people to take one once, like, you know, every week with all the, their teammates, all these kind of things. It's very simple stuff. Huh? Uh, it, what, what is very funny is that we kind of work in silo, like in bubbles, like each right. remote teams. And when you read online, like how another remote team work, you can realize that actually their way of working, like they consider that this is the way to, I will give you an example, like the Dewey's founder, Amir, which is a very smart guy. So, so you know, big remote evangelist and so on yeah. was sharing like the other day, like I keep hearing this tip 
So him speaking, huh? I keep hearing this tip that uh, people should not work from where they live. Oh. And I disagree because my team, so his team, uh, is um, for, I think, 90% like uh, working from home and the rest only, uh, while we pay for the co-working, like uh, only the 10 other percent uh, go there. And it's interesting because he was saying that as a general truth. And I mean, I could have done exactly the same, but in our team, it's the opposite. Like we pay for the co-working to everybody. Oh. And, and, uh, we have like a vast majority of people that actually work and go there, like, uh, maybe not every day, but at least, you know, twice, uh, three times a week and they use this possibility. And so whatever is the culture of your team, like around this kind of like, you know, node of, uh, remote actually like is, is widely dependent. And, and then it's like any company, right? Like it's just the way you communicate constantly about the way to work, like, uh, how you uh, give example, for instance, to the founder tech holidays at which rate uh, do the founders kind of like uh, log in and log out at which time, uh, you know, do you ask for people to reply as app or do you let them the time, uh, which tools do you put in place? Like if you took, put in place like a tool like slide to have like async decision making, of course, you are sending the signal that it's fine to not reply before tomorrow or even in a week. And that's a very, very different kind of like a nudge uh, toward the team. To have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increase the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. Got interesting. And you know, I, I want to talk about the hiring process. Um, how, how do you look at... Uh, you know, structuring the hiring process and ensuring that you have, uh, you know, the right sort of talent who are working for you. Um, well, it's interesting. We are a small team, but we are 40 people. Yeah. So relatively small. Um, and we never had like a massive issue of, you know, like hiring at scale, right? Like we don't have like the, the issue of teams that needs operator or support or sales. Um, so that has been a benefit because we can be very, very picky. But who we hire, um, and then like honestly, it's it's so tough. Like I think we always had like terrific people, but um, first we probably were quite lucky. I think our brand, the way we speak about that remote, the speak the way we speak about our culture, attracted people that were really connected. And when I look back, I think ninety. I don't know about this number, but it's the order of magnitude. Ninety percent of our team comes from referral or from people that knew that got touched by the brand. Like they didn't go through job boards or whatever. They, they knew slide, no. um, you know, all the product of course, but you know, like they knew like who we were. Um, and so I, I think in this context, people get attracted, you know, they already are there for the right reasons. Like they, they are here because they like the product or because they like the brand. And, um, yeah, I think that's, that was like, uh, the most reason for us to kind of keep like a very, very, very strong culture uh, and have like, a, you know, hires that we are really connected to, to that. And then like the other question is how to find like the best people. And honestly, I can say from last year, like we've hired like an incredible team this year, like uh, the, the best people that we hired are absolutely phenomenal. And honestly, there is like a threshold, like we put so much time into our brand, into our content, into, you know, like uh, what we speak about, like the topic that we talk about and so on and developing stronger opinions. And now it starts to pay off and we have like more visibility and so on. Uh, and that just enabled to have like many more people that are actually interesting, that are actually skilled, that are actually good, uh, to come, uh, through the front door, but it took like, uh, so long.
Interesting. And uh, especially when it comes to leadership roles, what does high performance mean to you for for uh, for some of the leaders who are working for you? Um, it's a good question. I mean, I, I, what I can tell you is um, what we value in people. Uh, because high performance means the same as everybody, right? Um, yeah. You know, you commit to your goals and you achieve them. And if you don't, you are very clear and you don't do it twice. You know, like um, there is something uh, simple there. Yeah. Uh, we we spoke about that the other day with uh, one of our, my uh, teammates, like uh, a head of my head of brand. And uh, like the thing that identifies at least my, all my leadership team, and I think like the people at Slight overall is uh, this mix of uh, humble and nimble. So this mix of having high humility and, you know, like being great at what you do, right. but, you know, like without getting over your head or whatever, mm. and then nimble. So being a doer, you know, like uh, we have like a significant team, like uh, you could have some people that are just there giving orders. It's really not our style. Uh, the people that lead teams like uh, are still like very much like uh, able to achieve what they ask their team to do. Maybe you know, like of course they need to have like people better better than them around them, but they still are very good in what they do, uh, and they still act on it every day. So yeah, I think this mix is for us what makes people exceptional besides pure performance. Got it. And and uh, you know you've been working uh, uh, as a founder of such a for close around six years now. Well, what what do you think has most changed as a as a leader uh, over the last six years for you? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, it's so many phases, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, right now, and and it's really making leaps because there are so many. Inter, you know, like interludes in these phases. It started from me coding the first version of Slide, oh, uh, being with my co-founder and being like, uh, you know, really like much literally like just you know developing all day and just creating the first thing. And then like with my first hire in a business development slash sales and so on, that is still there and still leading this function now. Uh, you know, going to sell it. So, you know, like going from, I guess like my, the, the big pass that I had like was doing all the IC job of slide one by one. And every time that I actually tried to, to shortcut it on jobs that I didn't know how to do. Uh, so whether it's a talent acquisition or marketing, which was a big one, it actually fired back. Like I needed to understand at least the basics of this role to understand who was really good at that and fire, find the right person. And um, so that was like, the, I think like the, the faces were just like, you know, like going from one role to the other, like uh, understanding, finding somebody better than me, delegating and, uh, and going to the next. And now like, I'm actually in a new phase where I finally have like a leadership that, team that is complete, where right. literally like every function of slight, I have somebody that is better than me. And so it's much more in terms of like, uh, you know, like, uh, the vision aspect of it, uh, the kind of like, you know, what's the next step, like how to kind of like drive the team. So really like uh, team energy slash vision, product vision. Uh, quite interesting. And, uh, yeah, I mean like the other kind of massive change, which is linked to our business is that, that for the first two years of slide, yeah. we were first in our market or, you know, the market didn't exist. So we were yeah. category creator, uh, which put us to in a state where we showed, showed that there was traction. Uh, we went to IC, we raised the seed round, 
amazing. And then like we had like a big, big competitor launching Notion. And, uh, and so for a few years and they had like a lot of passive, right? Like they had seven years of work behind. And so we needed to catch up. Like they were just basics of all, you know, you need images. Yeah. I mean, it seems stupid, but you know, like you didn't have images and then you need tables and then you need to drag and and then you need database and then you need to have comments and sharing capabilities and, you know, import and export and whatever, you know, like a lot of stuff line up. And so like for the next two, three years, like we were in catch up mode, just, you know, like doing the basics, like having to finish the the core of the product. Um, and then like, you know, back into more kind of like, you know, not category in static creation, but more kind of like positioning, like doing something exceptional for our core uh, user and making it very vi- visible. So for us, it's teams that work by writing and really building the workflows um, that are like uniquely made for them, uh, building decision-making, uh, yesterday and t- tomorrow we are like we're focusing on how do we put the organization on how to make that their whole uh, workspace uh, uh, self clean up self identity up self nice and they like can keep pushing and pushing content which is the nature of like teams working this way in their workspace and the still the, the thing remains up to date relevant and uh, you know they only access relevant information um, so yeah, like, I mean, it was a big transition and I can say for sure that I prefer this stage than the catch up because the catch up mode, you just have to, to pull the team, you know, behind you and it's, and to yeah. say it will be good. Like, you know, like, no, no problem. Like the horizon is bright and you just feel all the, the pressure and the, the, yeah, you feel the energy is not infinite, you know? So, yeah. Mm. Got it. And, uh, on reflection, you know, what do you believe are your biggest weaknesses today? As uh, so, it's interesting. I don't know if you ask for fund, as a founder or as a company. Yeah, as as a founder. Um, it's funny because in a way, I, I think it's it's uh, it might be the same. Um, I I think I think the biggest one is um, is be you know like being visible. We are not like the most out. Uh, is it uh, outspoken? Yeah, um, visit, you know, like we are, we don't put ourselves uh, outside <laughs> outside enough, um, and I think that's that has been kind of detrimental. But I also think that we didn't because we were working on the product, and we are in a state now where we believe that we have the best solution in the market for like uh, some people, um, and and that changes a lot of things. Um, but yeah, like I, I do think that as a person. And it's ripples down to the product and to the, the company. Um, I think not being kind of like, you know, like uh, bullish enough and visible enough. And I hate people that, you know, like just brag and, and, you know, speak too loud. And, and I know like whatever they do, it's not as good as eventualized. Like it's a very, I guess, European maybe way of being. Right. And it's not great. I mean, like, uh, I wish I was a bit more American sometimes. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I would say that that's the biggest weakness for me. Very interesting. And uh, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Um, okay. So the, I mean, like uh, you asked me that uh, earlier and I was thinking, okay, the, the best one, at least the one that I would recommend the most is Radical Condor. So way to, you know, like uh, manage your team, give feedback to your team and build like a very, very strong relationship. I, I still believe that all the mistakes that I did in management, they were explaining the book or, you know, like, uh, I could have like read it, uh, before and not make them. So, right. yeah. 
Correct. And you know, if you could go back in time when you start building site, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? I we did a we did one thing that I think we did uh, wrongly is for the I mean there are two things that could be this maybe one is the mistake maybe the other is the mistake uh when we were in this stage where you know like we're in yc uh notion explodes and then suddenly we realized that we need to catch up right. we hired and we went from uh, eight people to uh, maybe 16 so we doubled the team still uh, relatively small right. and uh and actually like, there is a gap like a small team under 10 people it's very easy to manage like everybody knows each other everybody speaks to each other at least once or you know once every two weeks then like, uh, it's a new order of magnitude when you double and, uh, and you start to have like a bit of, uh, you know, like a cascading effect and so on. And for the two, two, three years, like of catch up mode, just, we needed to make basics like very good. We basically get distracted. And, um, I mean, the prime was also like in term of product leadership. Like we are multiple, uh, I had like a product lead and we're uh, in insight. He is a great guy, but in insight, uh, it was not the right person for the right time, I think. And, um, and we basically did at the same time, catch up, like just making the fundamentals very good and differentiation. So just thinking, you know, like how can we stand out on the market and so on? And I really think it was too early. We had stuff that already made us stand up. We had a lot of people that love like the UX and the activity of slide. Um, we had like some kind of like unique differentiation on our core DNA. We were made for teams. We were made for teams that love to work by writing. So teams that consider knowledge base and this kind of workspace in a different way. And, you know, like at Postari, we, that's what we did and it works way better. Like, you know, it's just logical with who we are and, and our journey. Uh, and I think we lost a lot of time by thinking about that. You know, it was kind of being afraid. And so we did at the same time, like, you know, like the fundamentals, what we needed to do and like looking at, you know, how can we stand that? And it's kind of like, yeah, but you know, you, even if you try, you won't stand up because your basics are not good enough. And yeah. so you will kind of like, um, confuse the learning. Like you will be like, did we not succeed with this kind of differentiation feature because the different feature, differentiation feature is not good. It's not uh, for the good segment of market that we target or whatever, or is it just because the basics aren't there? And <laughs> I still have no idea. A lot of these, uh, things that we tried, I'm sure like could have worked in another time and so on. So yeah. Uh, this kind of like confusion of a uh, product goal was, uh, I don't think I could have knew it before, but, uh, yeah, that, that would have made us win probably one year and a half. Quite interesting. And, and do you have any favorite online tools, example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom, anything other than Slack? I mean, right now, of course, like a uh, GPT, chat GPT, uh, but, uh, you know, um, I mean, I literally spent my whole weekend on this, so I would <laughs> say that this is, this is probably a, a good one. Um, term of other tool, like, uh, I mean, you know, like uh, just a classic, like I use slide and slack every day, right. um, super human and linear, like that's my tool, tool stack. I love, I love these tools. They are reliable. They are fast. Uh, yeah. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, so what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Slate? Uh, on Twitter, probably at uh, Christoph Pass. I guess you can put like maybe a small link. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Uh, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. So thank you so much for taking our time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast. 
where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.